0: Today, which comes first from First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. You may be seated.
1: And this this passage is loaded, loaded with so much good stuff, some deep, hard stuff, some really clap your hands, stomp your feet, stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in here, and I'm excited about it. Even hearing Will read it again and just shaking my head and going, wow, this is a good passage. Um, so I'm sure, um, at least most of you, all maybe all of you, have been a part of times, places, groups where there are cliques. Clicks. So like, these are my people. Those other people are not my people. And that group over there in the corner, definitely not my people, right? Uh, man, junior high, especially. I remember junior high. Sophia junior high. Anybody ever see Sophia junior high on the inside? Huh? So you go into the gym and there's some bleachers up here, which a couple of fights we saw people threw people off the bleachers onto the gym floor. That was nuts. But anyway... Not me. I, I would have been thrown. I would have never thrown anybody. i was about as big as this pencil. But anyway, it's true. Um, it was preps and grits when I was in junior high. Anybody ever hear those phrases? Preps and grits? Grits, yeah. Like, like kiss my grits, Mel. You know, that, you know. I don't know what it meant. I don't know where it came from. But when we sat in those bleachers, the preps sat here and the grits sat here. And like every now and then, somebody from one group would come over and sit with the other group. And like I remember one morning, one of the grits came over and sat with the preps and just sat there and smiled. And they were doing it just to make people uncomfortable. Preps and grits. It, did you ever see that movie, uh, The Outsiders, or read the book? What, what were the two groups in that? The greasers and the socias. Anybody ever see that movie or read that book? Just me. Okay, never mind then. Forget that illustration. That one's. Just, we'll get rid of that. People we want to be with, people we like, people we're not like, and we don't really care about. Maybe even have some hostility toward. Maybe even ugh, ill. Not those people. So this morning, as we start into this passage, I want to ask you a question do we want to see God bless? Our people, right? Our clique. Our group. People like us. People we like. If we're not careful, and if we're not biblical, that's where we end up. And Paul's going to say, and the Holy Spirit is going to teach us through Paul... That there is a group of people that God wants to bless. Who's that group? Well, let's find out. First of all, 1 Timothy 2 1, then, I urge, Paul says to Timothy, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for your people. Our people. The greasers, not the socius. Sorry, see, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Just one. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So as we move into this second chapter here, the opening phrase is first of all then. Now we've already been through a whole chapter, right? Two hour-long messages, maybe an hour and three minutes, forgive me, right? And now he says... First of all then, so like Paul, so like a preacher, right? How can we be this far into the letter and just now be hitting the first of all thens? I mean, chapter 1 wasn't just, hey, how you doing? Hope everything's all right. We dealt with the introduction and then a call to Timothy to be faithful with the charge that Paul had given him. We talked some heavy doctrine and hard practice through chapter 1. So again, how can this be first of all then? Well, all of that in chapter 1 was Paul stating the purpose, the aim of the letter, which included all that juicy stuff. And now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it all. Remember what's going on here. Paul is setting the table to tell Timothy how to best instruct the church in Ephesus to help them not get caught up in any, quote, different doctrine, whether teachers or those receiving that teaching. And Timothy may have to go to the extreme of handing teachers over to Satan if they don't line up like we saw at the end of chapter 1. But again, that's all table setting. So, after all of chapter 1, first of all then, what? First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So don't miss this. Don't miss what was just read. With the goals set for the letter, now Paul says that the first thing, and the word is protos, and it means not just first on a list, but first in rank, chief, the principal thing, the first most important thing. It means this thing is ranked number one. Like Paul was the foremost of sinners, this is the top of the heap. The first thing that has to be addressed, the most important thing to be addressed. He's urging Timothy and the church in Ephesus to focus on in order to be doctrinally pure and faithful to their calling. First of all, then I urge, not a charge, not a command, but an urging. That urge word is parakaleo. The Holy Spirit is called the helper, the paraclete. So Paul is encouraging, helping, urging Timothy and the Ephesians to do What? that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. In other words, four other words really, first and foremost, that which is of first importance is pray. And let me tell you what, I'm convicted preparing for this message. I'm convicted sharing this message because I cannot look any of you in the face and say the first priority of my life is prayer. I can't do it. But the Bible corrects us, right? The Bible encourages us. First and foremost, the top of the heap, the most important thing is pray. Paul uses four words, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to urge Timothy and those under his watch care to petition God supplications, which is making requests, prayers, which is talking to God, intercessions, which is standing between God and man, and giving thanks to God. Do these things for what? What's the purpose? Petition God for what? Well, here it's petition God for whom? Do these things, this thing, for all people. All people. Not your group. Not just your group. Let me say it that way. Not just your church. Not just your area. Not just your country. All people. The supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. All people. That needs like six L's. All. And that word all, by the way, is conspicuous in our passage today. All. It's used five times in these eight verses. And it's a very important descriptor and determinant in the meaning of the passage. So keep that in mind. So Paul calls on Timothy, urges him to pray for all people as a matter of first importance. Supplication, prayer, intercessions, thanksgiving. For someone or someone's actually, actually everyone's supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people. And I don't miss that. Timothy, if you're going to be faithful with the charge, if you're going to protect and promote sound doctrine, if you're going to fight the good fight of faith in Ephesus, first of all, you and that group of people pray for everybody. 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 Grab God's ear and fill it with requests and praises for all people. Why this? Why is this the first and foremost important deal? What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love our neighbor. The aim of our charge, Paul said to Timothy back in chapter 1, is love. Love God and love people. Well, what are you doing when you pray to God for all people? You're loving God and you're loving people, and knowing that our wrestling and our wrestling—I said—knowing that our wrestling and our battle is not with flesh and blood. The way we first and primarily wage that war is in the political, uh, spiritual realm. Spiritual realm through prayer—that's where we do the battle that is where you're going to most effectively love people and love God. And again, I'm convicted. I'm not saying be like me. The way we first and primarily wage war is in the spiritual realm through the avenue of prayer. So yeah, first importance is praying for everyone. Now what do we pray for them? We'll get to that, okay? Okay. But now, Paul gets a little bit more specific as to who and what to pray for in our prayers for everyone. Watch this. (laughs) For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Oh. Just get ready. My toes are mangled, so I'm going to kick your shins, okay? (laughs) The overarching goal and directive is to pray for every person, all people. That's overarching. Well, then Paul zooms in and says that there are specifics that it would be good to focus on in all of that. So in your praying for all people, (coughs) specifically pray for kings and all who are in high positions. He's talking about government leaders, right? Pray for your leaders. All those who lead. Kings and all who are in high positions. Why them specifically? He tells us that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, here's the deal. If the government is doing its job, if things are well with the leaders, then we, all of us, all people, can lead a life that is four things. Peaceful, quiet, Godly and dignified in every way. Those are good things, right? Anybody not want those four things? No thanks. I'd rather have conflict and uncertainty and I like, I like to fight. Can we fight? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So in your prayers, ask God to bless and help and show himself in and through the leaders of the lands. I came across this Jewish prayer. It's actually from the Union Prayer Book 1 from the Central Conference of American Rabbis. Watch this. Find the beginning of my quote here. There it is. Grant us peace, thy most precious gift, O thou eternal source of peace, and establish Israel to be its messenger unto the peoples of the earth. Bless our country that it may ever be a stronghold of peace and its advocate in the council of nations. May contentment reign within its borders, health and happiness within its homes. Strengthen the bonds of friendship and fellowship among all the inhabitants of our land. Plant virtue in every soul and may the love of thy name hallow every home and every heart. Praised be thou, O Lord, giver of peace. Now I'm not saying recite that prayer. But can we catch the spirit of that? In thinking about praying for kings and all those in high positions. Let me say this. He doesn't say, pat them on the back. He doesn't say, agree with them. He doesn't say, like what they're doing. Okay? But as I look at this Jewish prayer... These Jewish rabbis are petitioning God that the place where they dwell may be a place of peace. That the country itself would be a beacon of peace. I think that's a good prayer. Government is founded on the basis of authority. And you want to talk about a principle that is sorely lacking in our culture. It's the concept of authority. And government is founded on the basis of authority of rewarding the good and punishing the bad. We're going to look at this passage twice this morning. First here, Romans 13, 1-5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Watch this. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, we are not here to dive headlong into this Romans passage today. We did that a few years ago. And we're not here to get a bad case of the yebuts. Yeah, yeah, but Paul didn't know what my government was like. Yeah, but Paul wouldn't ask us to submit to this person or this law or whatever. Not today, folks. That's not where we're going. And anyway, Paul was under the governance of a guy named Nero at this time. We'll talk more about him later. He did neat things like burn Christians as candles for his outdoor garden parties. So don't come at me with your perceived persecution exemptions from being faithful with this scriptural apostolic command. You don't like who your leaders are? Pray. Are they doing good things? Pray. Are they an abomination to God's design? Pray. Are they killing your fellow believers? Pray! Are they killing babies? Pray! Are they a bunch of crazy dummies? Pray! Stop the bantering and bickering to people and increase the prayers and petitions to God. Why? So things might be better for everyone. And I don't mean just pray against them. He says to pray for them. Paul says for kings and all who are in high positions. But I don't like them. All the more. All the more reason to pray for them. So many times we are prone to criticize and to denigrate. But I found this quote from John Piper about the pronenesses that we have to criticize. And he wasn't talking about governments, but we have a proneness to criticize God Himself. We have a proneness to criticize God's command and God's ways, including praying for our leaders. This is the quote. If we are prone to be critical rather than be changed, we should put our hands on our mouths and listen. We are sinful and finite God is infinite and holy. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Piper goes on to say, I am inviting you into a world of counterintuitive wonders. I hope that you will let the Word of God create new categories of thinking rather than trying to force the Scripture into the limits of what you already know. I'm not done with that quote, but I'm going to read that sentence again. I hope that you will let the Word of God create new categories of thinking rather than trying to force the Scripture into the limits of what you already know. He goes on to say, When Paul calls us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind in Romans 12, 2, part of what he has in mind is the overcoming of our natural resistance to the strangeness of the ways of God. Immediately before calling for transformed minds, he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. End of quote. We are so prone to yeah, but... And revert back to what we think, what we feel, what we know is good and right. Instead of letting the scripture change us. And create new ways of thinking to transform our minds. And here in 1 Timothy 2, Paul is saying pray for all leaders. In Romans 13 he's saying there's no authority except from God. So stop the yeah buts. And do what God called you to do. And that's pray for them. For heaven's sake, for my sake, for our sake, pray for Joe Biden. (laughs) Pray for the House of Representatives. Pray for the Congress. Pray for our state leaders, our local leaders. But they're not doing what's right, then pray for them. We think it would be better if God disintegrated the leaders. Or just get us new ones. Or whatever your thoughts are. But God says it's our role as the governed to pray for those governing us. Not pray about them or at them, but for them. That's God's way. That's God's command. And again, I don't do this once or twice a year maybe. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. What would happen if we prayed? And Paul says that we should pray for their good and for ours. And not only that, look at verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, what? See, praying for those in positions of power and authority is good. Okay, well, but not just good, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. God is pleased. God is, I don't even, there's, there's no word here that gives me the right picture. It's not like God's going, oh, yay. He's going, yes, and amen. God is saying, yes, and amen. He's in agreement with us when we're in agreement with Him, and we're praying for our leaders. It pleases God when we pray for all people, including the governing authorities, so that our lives might be calm. See, when we're praying, we're putting our trust and faith in who? Not the government. We're putting our faith and trust in God. Not the king, not the president, not the governor, not the mayor, not the dog catcher or whomever. And the fact that we're placing our faith in God and petitioning Him pleases God. And that's our goal, right? Our goal is to please God. Or at least it should be. So pray as a matter of first importance. And of course we'll talk more about this in application. But this stream of thought takes a very doctrinal turn now. So let's follow it and see where it goes. So the next verse. Who, talking about God, right? Desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now let me, let me read that back to back. This is good. Talking about praying for those in government positions and praying for all people. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hmm. Pray for all people. Pray for the government. This is good in God's sight. Oh, and about that God. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going, what? This statement taken by itself wouldn't be too out of the ordinary. And people take it out of the context a lot. To argue for it or against it, oddly enough. But here, in the middle of this command to pray, it seems a little bit odd to me. Pray for everybody in the government. That pleases God and He desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just on the face of it, I don't follow Paul's reasoning here. Pray for people in government, says God. God, who wants all people to know Him and be saved. Well, if God wants something, it happens, right? So then why pray? And so then does that mean that everybody will be saved? I mean, God desires it, right? God desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, God's God. God does what God wants to do. And if God wants something, it happens, right? And so, first of all, why would I pray about it? He's going to do it. And if everybody's going to be saved, what's the point? I don't need to pray for anything. Now, we know from a lot of other passages in the Bible that there will be people who go to hell. We are not universalists. Not everybody's going to be saved. Okay? So we can't pluck this out of context and say, See, the Bible says that God wants everybody to be saved, so that must be going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. There are plenty of passages, Old and New Testament, that affirms that there will be people who suffer in hell for eternity. So what just happened? We let the Bible interpret the Bible, first and foremost. And remember, this word, all, is a big deal in our passage today. Paul is calling Timothy and the Ephesians and us to focus on the effectiveness of the gospel and God's work to reach everyone. All. So pray for all because God desires to save all. Not a single people group, not a localized tribe, not the richer privileged, not my clique, but all. The Jews would say that only they are going to be saved, they're God's people. And there was a heresy that was developing here in the early church that would become Gnostic teaching, that's G-N-O-S-T-I-C, that was developing that said that some people were enlightened while most others were not and only the enlightened ones could know God and be saved. So Paul is calling Timothy and us to remember that God wants us to pray for all people, governments included, so that all people might live in peace, all, all, all. Widen the lens, zoom out, get the big picture. Don't get focused on yourself, your clique, your group. Look at the world. Look at all of it. God already has that perspective. So pray and get it in your heart and your head too. Let me tell you what Paul's not doing here in this verse in 1 Timothy 2. Paul is not making a sweeping doctrinal statement about the elective or non-elective saving work of God. That's developed in a lot of other passages. What he is saying here is that there is a world full, a world full of people who need the gospel. So focus on the worldwide need. Don't be content with your tribe or clan. Don't limit yourself to the purveyance of your eyes only. Open your heart and your life and think globally. Because again, God does. Get a God's perspective on who you're praying for, get a God perspective on who's going to be saved. It's not just Providence Bible Church, it's not just my family. It's not just America. God desires all people to be saved. And if we don't have that mentality, we don't have God's perspective. So pray and see that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And he'll reiterate this all mentality in verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, goodness gracious, there is a lifetime of study, thought, doctrine, and meditation in those two verses. Those two verses are magnificently packed to the gills with more than we'll ever be able to grasp completely. And we surely won't plumb the depths of this today, but hopefully we'll see it in its context and get a basic understanding of it, at least I hope first word back there in verse 5 is 4. So this statement is tied to the last one about God desiring all to be saved. And there comes a connection between all and one. He desires all to be saved for there is one God. The same God for all. And there is one mediator between God and all these men, all these people. A mediator is not a meat eater. Okay, don't get that in your mouth. Mead, not meat. A mediator is one who serves as a go between for two people or two parties who can't reconcile things for themselves. God desires all people to be saved, but all people, people everywhere and in all times and places, are sinners. Every all person is a sinner. God desires all people to be saved. There can be no reconciliation between God and man. God can't move towards sin because He's holy and sinners can't and won't move toward holiness because Scripture says we hate the light. We prefer the darkness because of the bentness and sinfulness of our hearts. But the Mediator, capital M, Mediator referenced here, the man Christ Jesus did something to bring these two parties together. The God man did something to bring God and man together. Incarnation's an incredible doctrine. He gave himself, this mediator did, as a ransom for that all people party. And that word ransom is the Greek word antilutron, and it, not Jimmy Neutron. Like I, all week long, on Jimmy Neutron. And John's been talking about Jimmy Neutron all week, I, and I can't get it out of my head. Anti-Lutron. That's ransom. And it means that which is given, now watch this, in exchange for another as the price of his redemption. And again, that word exchange is huge. It's not a payment made by someone for their ransom. Like somebody writing a check sitting in a big ivory palace and just says, here, let them people go. Here's here's money for them. This ransom is what is given in exchange for the one ransomed. Jesus gave himself in exchange for us to ransom us from the penalty of of sin. He took our place. He not only paid the price of our redemption, but He Himself is our ransom. Jesus said this about Himself in Mark 10 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And since He Himself is our ransom, He has mediated a truce between the sinners we are. And the rightful wrath of a holy God against us. And listen to me, this is fantastic. This was one of the, literally one of the defining moments and changing points of my life. And I referenced this a couple weeks ago. Jesus didn't just make God not mad at us, but he has given us peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I used to think that I was hiding behind Jesus and God was like, if I could get to him, I'd wring his neck. But I'm in Christ. And the perfect love of the Father rests on me because of the finished work of Christ. God is pleased with me because of Christ. I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Because of Christ, because He paid my ransom, because He is my ransom. Hebrews 8 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent, that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The law couldn't save us, the law could only point us to Christ, we said a couple of weeks ago. And since Jesus Fulfilled the law, kept the law to perfection. He now mediates a better covenant which gives us peace with God. Jesus did all of this. And He alone, the one and only Him, the one mediator, the man Christ Jesus did this. One for all. No one else in all of history or all of creation could have, did, or will ever accomplish this mediation. Only Jesus. No priest, no preacher, no angel, no person. Anyone ever all time could have done this except Jesus Christ. That's why we sang that song this morning. Jesus, only Jesus. And this truth, this teaching, this testimony was given at the proper time. Paul would say in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was in the fullness of time, at the proper time that Jesus did what He did, leading to the testimony of it coming at the proper time, following His life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification. And then that testimony came to a vicious persecutor of this message, turning him into, well, I'll let him tell you. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Saul, the persecutor, was appointed by God as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. God's got a great sense of humor. A passionate, violent Jew. Now I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to preach a message of grace and hope and healing. In faith and in truth. And the message that he received directly from Christ himself was that Jesus was the mediator that God ordained. The gospel that Paul was appointed and sent to preach and teach showed clearly that Jesus was that mediator and so there was a way to be reconciled to God. And it wasn't through the law. And Paul's primary audience was not the Jews, his native people. No, Paul was sent to the Gentiles, the all people that had been unclean to his Jewish kinsmen, the all people that he had grown up seeing as unclean as a good, clean Jew himself. But now, as the messenger... The apostle sent to the Gentiles, Paul is preaching and teaching that message in honesty and sincerity. And of course, he's accused of falsehood, manipulation by all those who despise him. And that crowd is large in his day. It's large in our day as well, by the way. So Paul has to reiterate and make clear that he's telling the truth. He's not lying. Just to make sure he's clear to Timothy that his appointment was God-ordained, not man-decided. And I'm sure Timothy was confident of that, but Paul is belaboring the point to drive home the point, One mediator for all people, and that is the message that Paul was appointed to preach and teach as an apostle of the God and Father of his Lord Jesus Christ. The God-ordained message coming through the God-ordained messenger. In faith and truth, Paul says. This man, Paul, was slandered and harassed, beaten and berated over and over and over again. The enemy went behind him and tried to undo everything he did. Jews came in and tried to persuade people that he was either wrong or only half right. No wonder he was so pointed in pointing out the truthfulness of his statements and throw in the fact that he surely does say some things that are controversial to say the least. Now watch this as we go into our last verse for the day which sets up the next passage we'll look at. Not today, but it is a theological hornet's nest. Paul wasn't afraid to shake them a little bit either. Controversy in our day always follows gender roles, doesn't it? Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. On the surface, this is not at all questionable, right? Innocuous, no big deal. Paul just wants folks to pray and get along, right? Well, it's a little bit more than that. So remember, he's instructing Timothy in how to best keep the doctrine and the church life pure there in Ephesus. And hence, for us too. He's helping Timothy correct what needs corrected all the way up to the elders of the church. Well, he says then that he desires, and that word means to will something with affection. He's guiding with more than just mandates. He's guiding with his heart on his sleeve. He desires that in every place, in all the churches that he's been a part of, the men should pray. Now, the word for men is A-N-E-R in the Greek, which is the word for a male, not a generic person. Paul wanted prayers to be offered for all people. That was anthropos, people in general. But he wants here for the men to be the ones doing the praying. I desire that in every place, every church that men should pray. Now we're going to spend the next message in 1 Timothy looking at women's roles in verses 9 through 15. Everybody excited about that? I sure am. And there are all kinds of voices within ourselves and outside of ourselves that seek to explain away the plain meaning of these verses. And here in verse 8, Paul says that it is the men who are to pray when the church assembles. The men. He desired it a command with emotion. MacArthur says in every place is used four times by Paul and in all four places it refers to the official assembly of the church. That's why this morning, as we've assembled all together, it's the men who are leading. It's the men who are praying. The men who are preaching and teaching. I only say that because I've got the strength of five men. I'm the men. I'm the men. No. It's not a matter of ability. It's not a matter of ability. It's not a matter of ability. Did I mention? No, we'll do it again. It's not a matter of ability, but of God-ordained roles. Can women pray and teach and serve? Absolutely. 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 We won't get into it this morning, 1 Corinthians eleven five and following. Paul gives directions for how women should teach and pray and lead. And we'll talk much more about that in the next passage, so don't jump, don't jump ship on me yet. But listen, please, listen. We cannot let cultural trends or personal preferences dictate how we do church. An unbiblical culture bleeding over into a church leads to an unbiblical church. Amen. And Paul says, don't let that happen, Timothy. If you've got to hand people over to Satan, don't let that happen. Who determines how we do what we do here on Sunday morning? God does. The scriptures do. Are we perfect at it? Heavens, no. No. But we're trying to be biblical. But to finish this passage, look at the then there. I desire then seems to be a conclusion to all that has been said in our passage today. Pray for all people. Pray for the governing authorities. God desires all people to be saved. There's one mediator between God and man. Christ is our ransom. And Paul is his messenger. So then... Paul desires that the men of the church pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And lifting holy hands doesn't mean you have to hold your hands up when you pray. You can if you want to. I don't care. It's not the command here. There is a lifting up of hands, which is a petition, which is a sign of surrender. And again, if you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. I don't have a bit of problem with that. We've got this weird thing where we do this, right? What words? What? With every head bowed and every eye closed, fold your hands and assume the position of prayer. What? There's no set prescribed position of prayer, but there should be an attitude of humility, of surrender. God, I got nothing. I got empty hands. Will you fill them up? So don't get stuck on the will. I got to lift my hands up when I pray. That's not what it's saying. Paul desires that the men of the church pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Not in conflict with each other. Hands clean and made holy by the blood and the word of the Lord. Now again, does that mean women can't pray? Well, you'll have to tune in next time for that. But let's start that conversation today by seeing this plainly. Men, pray. When the church is assembled and there is praying to be done, Paul instructs that the men are to pray. Now, a couple Wednesdays ago, I said, Ladies, we want you to pray when we're together on Wednesday night. And I mean that. I'm not withdrawing that statement. There's something special, different about the church assembled. All in one place, all focused on the same thing, doing the same thing. Wednesday nights, we, we split up into groups. Adults, teens, kids. The church is assembled, but it's not all together. The reason why it's okay for women to pray on Wednesday night, but not Sunday morning is because here we are. This is the church assembled. And let me tell you this. One thing I want my kids to know is that men are tasked by God with the authority and the role of leadership. And I promise you this. I've seen it in church after church after church after church after church. If the the men are quiet, the women won't be. And if the men don't lead, the women will because they have to. And it's a shame. And it's a shame on the men's part, not the women's part. I'll leave that there until the next time. Men, pray. All of us pray for all people, for those in the governing authorities. Knowing that God desires all men to be saved. And he's made a way for all men to be saved through our mediator who is Christ Jesus. That's the passage today. So we get to a plot, right? Three E's today. Everyone, elevated, and elect. Everyone, elevated, and elect. First application point is everyone. Who are we to pray for? Everybody, all people. What are we praying for everybody? God desires that all men would be saved. What are we praying for our leaders? First and foremost, that they'd be saved. So this, uh, John MacArthur called it evangelistic prayer. We pray evangelistically. We pray for the salvation of all people. Those in authority, those in the local congregation, those across the world, that they would know and do God's will, that they would glorify God, that they'd be believers. We pray that everybody would be saved. Is everybody going to be saved? No. So then, why in the world would we pray that everybody will be saved? Because that's the heart of God. But wait a minute, what about election? What about predestination? Aha! See, I knew y'all were wrong about that. Listen to me. If you have any doctrine that does not desire all men to be saved, you are following an unbiblical doctrine. If you have any doctrine that does not desire all men to be saved, you are following an unbiblical doctrine... And an unbiblical idea of God. As far back as the Old Testament. This is not the first place it's mentioned. Ezekiel eighteen thirty to thirty two. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, God says. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Ezekiel 33, 10-11, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why would you die, O house of Israel? God says to his people. And he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, Mark 16, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. All people. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. What in the world do we do with all that? We pray for all people and we preach the gospel to everybody we come into contact with. And our desire is that all people be saved. And you know who we leave that saving to? We leave that to God. If there is anything in your heart that does not desire all people everywhere, everyone to be saved, get on your face and ask God to give you the heart that is His. Which is a desire for all people to be saved. Every single person is not what Paul meant here in 1 Timothy because we know better. We know differently. But who am I to say who should and shouldn't be saved? My desire is that all people would be saved, God says. So it should be your desire and your prayer as well. Everyone. Pray for everyone. That's pretty simple. Second application point, after everyone is elevated, what in the world do we do with our elected officials? How do we pray for them? I'm going to say this. It is more American than it is Biblical to throw off the bonds of government. Vote. Campaign. Heck, protest. But if you are filled with hate and malice towards your elected officials, repent and pray. It is right, it is good, it is holy to hate the things that are happening because of what's being done or not done in the government. I hate the killing of unborn children. I hate legislation that tries to undo the nuclear family. I despise the thought of anything that is called marriage that is not between one man and one woman for life as the Bible prescribes. And if I hate the people who are doing that, I'm sinning. If you're filled with hate and malice and all you're doing is spewing your venom everywhere you go, repent and pray for your leaders. Back to Romans 13 again. Same passage. I'm going to read it again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. If you can go out here, if you can get on your computer, your phone, your tablet, and just blast people who are in government all the time, and don't have your conscience pricked, something's wrong. For the sake of conscience. You say, well, you just use that same passage twice. I'll give you a different one. 1 Peter 2, 13-17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Oh, wait a minute. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, slander, malice. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. All men. Everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And you might remember... It might be interesting to know that P- Peter is writing at the very moment that Nero is burning Rome and blaming Christians for it. The very moment. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, Peter says. He's referring to Rome being burnt and then being blamed for it. This is exactly what he's referring to. And what's he say in the midst of it? Honor the emperor. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. This is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Pray for those who are in elevated positions of government over us. Stop talking to people about them and about them and talk to God for them. Everyone elevated and finally elect. I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> Listen, here's the best news in the world, Christian. Somebody's praying for you, too. One mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He didn't stop mediating for us when he sat down at God's right hand. Quite the opposite, Hebrews 7 tells us. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Let me tell you what, Christian. Jesus Christ is in heaven right now praying for you. He's praying for you, Job. Oh, that there were a mediator between God and me. Oh, that there was someone who could lay His hand on God and lay His hand on me and bring us together. Ha-ha! There is! Jesus, only Jesus. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. He will never cease to be our mediator for His elect people. Never. Now watch this though. And I'm going to end with a little bit of flies in the ointment. For to this end we toil and strive, Paul says in first Timothy fourteen, that's gonna be fun, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What? Yeah. There's an especially clause in this mediating. Thank God. There's an especially clause in this mediating work. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Spurgeon said, if the elect were marked with stripes on their backs, I'd go around lifting up coattails, but since they're not, I'll preach the gospel. How's this work for God to want all people to be saved? but And he saved everybody, or he's the savior of everybody, especially those who believe. MacArthur said, I'll explain it all the day after we get to heaven. Yeah. Me too, John. (laughs) I don't understand it all. But I know. I know that I know that I know. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. My name's written on his hands. My name's graven on his heart. And I know that as long as in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. I know that. Christian, Jesus Christ is your mediator. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he ever lives to make intercession for you. And if you haven't known peace with him, you can. God stands today and says to all who will, come. Come to me, Jesus. Says. All you who are wearing heavy laden, I will give you rest. And also hear this. Salvation is a command. It's not an offer that some mamby-pamby God hopes that people take him up on. Hope people come to my conference. It's a command. And if you don't obey the command to be saved, you will suffer the wrath of God for eternity in hell. But... If you come to Him and obey the command to let Him save you, He does the saving. You do nothing except bring your sin. He takes it away and gives you the perfect righteousness of Christ as a free gift of His grace to the praise of His glorious grace for all eternity. How does it work? I don't know. I don't know. But I know it does work. So for now, we pray for everyone, including the elevated in government, seeking the good of all, not just our clique, our church, our doctrinal crowd. And we trust the election of God and his intercession and his mediation for us. Let's pray. As for this God, Father, we proclaim that your way is perfect. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And it has pleased you, God, to save people. And now you call us on that mission with you to pray for everyone, all people, all the time, that all might come to a saving knowledge of the work of Jesus Christ. Father, may we be those who pray for everyone, including the elected officials, the elevated among us. And God, may we treasure the election that you have put forth to bring people to you by the power of your word and your spirit. God, even now draw people, give them life, And help them come to a saving knowledge of the person and work of Christ. And may it be our prayer forever, until we see you face to face, that you would do that for everyone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings and has been made to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Stay and eat with us if you can though.